Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. For this show, I have three brand new movies to review for you. Actually, there was only one film that was released in theaters this weekend, and that is going to be the one that I will be reviewing first. It is Black Widow, which is a another entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU. Specifically, it is the 24th film uh, in the MCU. And this was originally going to be released last year, in May of 2020, presumably for um, a Memorial Day weekend release, but we all know why that didn't happen. The Marvel Cinematic Universe pretty much ceased all its theatrical releases. It could have they could have released them on Disney Plus, but that's okay that they didn't. Um, and the fact that we're nearing the end of the pandemic is an encouraging sign that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is coming back on the big screen. In truth, the Marvel Cinematic Universe hasn't ended. There have been actually some shows like Captain America and the Winter Soldier on Disney Plus that have been going strong, but I haven't seen any of those films. So there were actually a few allusions to some of the MCU TV shows as opposed to the movies that flew over my head. And if you are one of those people who have not been catching up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, or this is this one, Black Widow, maybe the first one you see, I don't think you'll be entirely lost. Actually, this movie tells you more about the character Black Widow, whose real name is Natasha Romanoff. And who's played in this movie, of course, by Scarlett Johansson, who's been playing the role since 2010 when she first appeared in Iron Man 2. It tells you a lot more in this movie about her background than any other MCU movie, including any of the Avengers films, have told you so far. And for those of you who have not seen Avengers Endgame, and even though Avengers Endgame is literally the highest grossing film not only the highest grossing Marvel Cinematic Universe film, it's the highest grossing film, period, not adjusted to inflation. I am really biting my tongue and trying not to let you know what happened to Scarlett Johansson's character in that movie. And it was something very significant. Uh, something as significant happened to just about everyone in the first wave of the Avengers, the, the original six members. But I'm not going to tell you what they are. <clears throat> Some of you already know, but for those of you who don't know, I'm employing my words on film rule about no spoilers. But this film not only gives you Black Widow, not only gives you background on uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson's character, Natasha Romanoff, but it also details one particular quest on which she embarked that was family related between the films Captain America Civil War. <clears throat> which I thought was actually one of the best Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, and Avengers Infinity War. So it was between the time that there was a rift in between the, mem the members of the Avengers and when <clears throat> the 
uh, character Thanos finally attacked Earth. So what was Black Widow up to in between that time? Well, it turns out she had some family issues to iron out. We're introduced to her in this movie in 1995 when she's growing up actually in Ohio. So presumably she is American raised, but she has uh, two parents who unbeknownst to her are actually um, Russian super soldiers. Now in 1995, the cold war was over. So why there would be Russian undercover agents in America I'm not entirely sure, but then again, in this day and age, Russia has gone back to being our enemies again, as opposed to in the 90s when they were our allies, when Boris Yeltsin was president of Russia and Bill Clinton was president of the United States. Both of them had a really good relationship and were trying to defrost 40 years of contention, especially after the Soviet Union fell. But in this movie, I guess there are apparently um, two Russian agents who are hiding out in the United States. One of them is Alexei Shoskatov, who is played in this movie by David Harbour, and his wife, who is the original Black Widow, Melina Vostokov, who is played by Rachel Weiss, and... There's also a surrogate sister of Natasha Romanoff, whose name is Yelena Belova, who is played in adult form in this movie by Academy Award-nominated actress Florence Pugh. So I don't entirely know for sure, but I don't believe that Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, David Harbour, or Rachel Weisz have any Eastern European heritage. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but... Uh, it doesn't really matter because the, the, all four of them are very good at playing native Russians as, as far as I can tell. But when their mission, when the family's mission to steal shield Intel is complete, the family escapes to rendezvous with their boss, Drakoff and Drakoff is an underworld, uh, Russian, um, let's say agent who's played by Ray Winstone. And Ray Winstone is another actor who I don't believe is of Eastern European descent. He's British, but in this movie, he definitely disappears into his Russian baddie role and actually has some very intimidating uh, parts in this film. But anyway, the boss, Drakoff, not only reassigns Alexei and Melina to other... Uh, spy tasks, but he also takes in Natasha and Yelena into the Red Room for training. And they train throughout their late teens and young adult lives to be killer agents for Russia. And it's also worth noting that very much like Hawkeye, Natasha Romanoff, aka Black Widow, is a mortal human being who doesn't have any superpowers despite the fact that she is a member of the Avengers. But in this movie, you you know that she has enough training um, in her Red Room uh, background to hold her own amongst the other uh, Avengers. And when we meet 
Natasha Romanoff again in 2016 when she's played by Scarlett Johansson. It, it takes place after the the Avengers broke up, but before Thanos invaded Earth, and also when Thor and the Incredible Hulk are on the planet um, Remulok uh, doing their thing. And R- Natasha Romanoff is a fugitive for violating the Sokovia Accords, and she escapes from the U.S. Secretary of State Thaddeus Ross, who's reprised in this movie again by William Hurt in another role that William Hurt has been playing in the MCU since 2008, since he originally appeared in the Edward Norton starring The Incredible Hulk movie, which a lot of people have forgot. I don't think the movie gets as much credit as it deserves. I thought it was a lot better than the 2003 uh, Hulk movie directed by Ang Lee and starring Eric Bana, but uh, Mark Ruffalo has uh, filled in Edward Norton's shoes quite well. So much to the point that people forget about that Incredible Hulk movie, but some remnants of that Incredible Hulk movie are still um, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But that's a bit of a digression here. But as Natasha Romanoff is a fugitive, she eventually meets up with her long-lost surrogate sister, Yelena, who is um, also on the run for killing a rogue former Black Widow, only to come into contact with a substance called Red Dust that removes her from the Red Room's mind control, um, over which other um, Black Widow agents are under and that's a pivotal plot point in this film. So it's partly about uh, surrogate sibling rivalry as well as Natasha Romanoff coming to grips with the dysfunctional family um, under which she was raised. And also um, she doesn't have any memory of being raised in this red room, but there is a twist in the middle where you find out exactly what this red room is and where it's located is pretty amazing. And I'm not going to tell you where the red room is located. All I'm going to tell you is that it looks amazing and was well worth the wait for those people who have been following the Marvel cinematic universe for as long, if not longer than I have. And also the boss Dracoff, Ray Winstow's character makes a very worthy adversary for Natasha Romanoff. And I think it probably strikes as a bit more poignant since nowadays in the real world in which we're living, the Russians are not uh, U.S. allies anymore. Not under the um, not under the rule of Vladimir Putin. So part of me really wanted to see Natasha Romanoff take on Vladimir Putin, but that's just not possible in the Marvel Cinematic Universe where I don't think even Donald Trump was considered president because I would like to think that the people in the Marvel Cinematic Universe knew better when they were voting, but then again, I could be wrong. But anyway, it's an action film, Black Widow is. Not so much a superhero movie technically because Black Widow doesn't have any um, meta-human powers the same way that 
Captain America or Thor, the Incredible Hulk do. For that matter, um, Tony Stark, Iron Man, didn't have superpowers himself, but he had a lot of gadgets. With Black Widow, it's basically a knowledge of combat as well as some handy swords in her back pocket. Um, but it, it, it serves her very well in this film. And also Florence Pugh, I, I think everybody acts really well in this film, but Florence Pugh in particular does very well in this movie as Scarlett Johansson's surrogate sister, Yelena. Not only is there that sibling rivalry, the moderate sibling rivalry, but also Florence Pugh is able to get some really good zingers on Scarlett Johansson's character, particularly how she um, is is in combat and also some signature moves of Black Widow that have been there since the 2010 movie Iron Man 2. So Florence Pugh is very funny in this movie. And also there is an extra scene at the end credits, which I won't give away because entirely because it does detail the fate of Scarlett Johansson's character in the MCU, particularly after the events of Avengers Endgame. And there is one actress who makes a cameo in that scene who we're going to see in several other Marvel Cinematic Universe movies in the future. Again, I don't want to give it away, but it shows that both Florence Pugh could be the next Black Widow or another Black Widow, or she could go by another name and join the Avengers on their quest. I'm really, really, really biting my tongue to make sure that I don't give away what happened to certain Avengers in the movie Avengers Endgame, but rest assured, there is another chapter in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe is not slowing down anytime soon. As a matter of fact, There are Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that are in production and are scheduled to be released, and I'm not making this up, in as far in the future as 2029. And Black Widow, the 24th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, shows that even though this is one instance where the DC Extended Universe beat Marvel to the punch, in other words... This 24th Marvel Cinematic Universe movie is the first one to have a woman starring in it. Of course, the other movies had women co-starring, but this is the first one where a woman is center stage, as opposed to the DC Extended Universe where they had Wonder Woman in their fourth movie. But other than that, Marvel Cinematic Universe is still going strong after 24 films, and I was very impressed by Black Widow, both by the story and also the acting, as well as some of the special effects, including the climax, where this Red Room literally and figuratively falls. What results from that is really, really good filmmaking, and I have to give a lot of credit to Kate Shortland Shortland, for directing this film, which, by the way, Black Widow gets my rating of a knockout. It is a great story, and it shows that even though the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been hindered somewhat from the COVID-19 pandemic and a lot of people not going, actually almost nobody, going to the movies for about a year, 
Now that movie theaters are open again, it's great to see the Marvel Cinematic Universe back in action, and it's probably not going to slow down anytime soon. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Zola. And Zola is a movie that opened on July 2nd, but I didn't get a chance to see it until now. And it had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival all the way back in 2020. And the release of this film was pushed back significantly because of the COVID-19 pandemic. It is a very unique film in the sense that it is a true story. It's a bit of a black comedy, but it's uh, based on a viral Twitter thread by a woman by the name of Azia Zola King and the resulting Rolling Stone article, Zola Tells All, the real story behind the greatest stripper saga ever tweeted, which was written by David Kushner. The movie stars uh, two very excellent actresses. One is uh, the Zola, the titular character, um, is played by Taylor Page, who is a beautiful young actress who definitely has the acting chops, not to mention the looks, to pull a movie like this off. Uh, I know her probably best from the movie Boogie, where she played the love interest of the titular character. She was very good in that film. She also played a small role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which was also an excellent film, but I don't remember her particularly well, particularly with um, uh, Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman in the lead roles. The fact that she took a backseat to them is no surprise. But she's also been in a couple of other films, such as a 2018 film starring Matthew McConaughey called White Boy Rick, which was relatively decent. The reason I don't remember her from that movie is because one of the problems with White Boy Rick is the fact that there were many black characters, but they all kind of blended together, and they weren't particularly characterized uh, very well. But... This movie, Zola, is certainly Taylor Page's uh, first lead role, yes, but it's also probably her best role. And she co-stars in this movie with Riley Keough, uh, who plays a, f- a, a, a friend at first, but then an adversary whose name is Stefani. And I, I don't know if that's pronounced Stefani or Stephanie, but it's spelled S-T-E-F-A-N-I, which... Sounds very, or it's spelled exactly the way that Gwen Stefani spells her last name. So I'm going to go with Stefani for now. And Riley Keough has had several high-profile roles. She was in Mad Max Fury Road about six years ago. She was also in an indie thriller called, called It Comes at Night. And she also had strong supporting performances in movies like American Honey and The Lodge. Neither of which I thought were 
great films. In fact, The Lodge, I just flat out hated. But Riley Keough has a lot of promise as an actress. And even if, when she's been in bad movies, I certainly remember her in her roles. And she initially, um, her character Stefani, initially meets Zola when Zola's working a thankless job as a waitress in a fried chicken restaurant. And she approaches Zola and asks her if she's interested in exotic dancing. And as it turns out, in several very interesting scenes, Zola is very good at uh, erotic dancing. Really good at it. And that is uh, the extent of how I'm going to tell you how good she is. But things take a dark turn when Stefani recruits Zola to go 20 hours away from where they live on a road trip to Tampa, Florida, which Zola assumes is where she's going to be dancing in various clubs. However, uh, she meets a mysterious roommate of Stefani's whose name is X, as well as Stefani's sheepish boyfriend, Derek, on this road trip. And the character X is a guy with a very complicated name. He's played by an actor by the name of Coleman Domingo, who I presume is Jamaican. And Riley Keough's somewhat milquetoast uh, boyfriend, who has very low self-esteem, his name is Derek, and he's played by an actor named Nicholas Braun, who I found to be particularly good in this role. He plays somebody who... Stefani certainly takes for granted, but his feelings about being brushed to the side, as well as his ways of dealing with them, sort of ring true if you've known anybody with a very low emotional intelligence, which this guy certainly is. And as it turns out, as I've alluded uh, to earlier in this review, the trip with which Stefani and Zola embark unbeknownst to Zola is where they, she and Stefani act not as exotic dancers, but more like prostitutes. And when Zola tries to get away from the pimp by the name of X, he is of course very threatening and (laughs) takes out his gun on several occasions. So if there's one thing I could say about the movie Zola, it is far from predictable It does tell a really good story. I believe this is probably the first film that I know of that's actually based on uh, a Twitter feed or stories that are told through one Twitter account over the course of 24 hours. But this movie actually takes place over the course of, I imagine, a couple of weeks. The downside to this movie, I think, is that the, the characters aren't particularly well fleshed out. Um, you you kind of know, you know, you know them on this road trip, but I would have liked to have known more about Zola in particular because Zola, as she's played here by Taylor page is presumably somebody with a very good head on her shoulders and man, what shoulders, Whew. <laughs> but that's another topic. Yeah. And trust me when I say that her shoulders are not the only interesting parts of her. But my perversion aside, she seems to be somebody who is very level-headed. I can't presume what kind of education she has, 
but she certainly seems to be the person in the story with the best sense of clarity in her thought. And Riley Keough, I think also, uh, play somebody, um, really realistic here. Uh, she, I'm trying to find a way to, to describe Riley Keough's vernacular here without being offensive, but basically she is a white woman who wants to be black and she talks more like one of those people you'd find on Jerry Springer or on Dr. Phil who want to make a name for themselves on social media and and pretty much succeed in doing that by being trashy. And Riley Keough is very good in this movie playing trashy and certainly acts like somebody acts like certain people I knew growing up as well as some people I know in certain bad parts of the neighborhoods in which I live, (laughs) whether they're black or white, it doesn't particularly matter, but Stefani and Zola rather Riley Keough and Taylor page work very well off of one another. It's not just that they're friends, but eventually they have a certain falling out, but I would have liked to have known more about Zola. I would have liked to have known how she grew up. You learn through her phone conversations that she has a mother who's still alive, but how she grew up would have been nice to know. And I was also very curious about the ending of this movie. The movie ends on a rather questionable note. And the reason that I had an issue with the ending is because this is based on an article that was written for Rolling Stone magazine that was based on uh, tweets uh, written by this Zola uh, woman, a a real person whose name is, as I said earlier, uh, Ozzie, excuse me, (laughs) I I burped while saying that, Ozzie King. And... Not everyone or not every uh, Twitter story or Twitter rant is worthy of making an article or even telling a story out of. I mean, look at Donald Trump's uh, tweets. You can't make stories out of those. The only stories you can make are how obsessive one can be tweeting their every thoughts. So what I wanted to know is, particularly at the end of this movie, why or how somebody was able to find this Twitter feed and make an article or even a story out of it. That would have been nice to know. And instead the movie ends somewhat ambiguously with certain characters being in certain situations, you know, they got out of later based on how this movie came to be. And it's the same kind of problem I've had with movies that are, found footage movies like the Blair Witch Project, you know that the footage was found, but it would have been as interesting, if not more interesting than the found footage itself, to actually show somebody finding the footage. It might sound funny, but it it would be a fascinating story to see how people came across this footage. And I think that was missing from this movie, Zola. And movies about strippers can be very interesting for reasons beyond um, the very interesting profession. The movie Hustlers is a great example of that, starring Constance Wu and Jennifer Lopez. It wasn't just a great movie because of the stripping choreography. 
although I will continue on because I have a girlfriend, but it, it also told a really good story. And I don't think that Zola is to the level storytelling wise of hustlers, but I do think that the acting, particularly by Taylor Page, Riley Keough, and Coleman Domingo, just to name a few, certainly make up for what the story kind of lacks in its leaving its loose end, I think, inappropriately. But Zola still gets my rating of a checkout because I loved Taylor Page in this movie. Even though I didn't like uh, Riley Keough's character, I still thought she was very dynamic. I thought that Nicholas Braun played a really good pushover, and Coleman Domingo played a guy you would never, ever want to mess with, let alone be in the company of. So there's a lot to like about Zola. I did appreciate it for being an original movie and certainly probably the first movie based on a Twitter story, which I can certainly appreciate. It just needed a more dynamic ending, more than just a few shocking moments here and there. I really wanted to know how Zola moved on after this Twitter feed, as well as how somebody developed this into a story. But for somebody who did develop into a story, it actually proved to be a really good story. And a lot of guys might have attended for the stripping scenes, but they'd certainly stay for the story. And that's what I think is the most important. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is a Netflix original that is called Good on Paper. This premiered on Netflix on June 23rd, so it's been a couple of weeks as of the date of the show since this movie came out. But I finally got the chance to review it during this slow week of movies being released into theaters. And the writer of this film, who is also the star of the film, she is a stand-up comedian named Eliza Schlesinger. And I've, she's somebody I've seen on TV now and then, but I don't follow stand-up comedy as closely as I used to. So the truth of the matter is I don't actually know uh, this woman or this actress particularly well. I can't tell you that she's been in a couple of movies that I have seen over the last couple of years. Uh, she was in another Netflix original called Pieces of a Woman, and this was the movie about a woman who is struggling with a stillbirth. This was Vanessa Kirby uh, in the lead role, for which she also received uh, a nomination for Best Actress. The movie also co-starred Shia LaBeouf, Ellen Burstyn, and Eliza Schlesinger, as I told you. And Eliza Schlesinger, I believe, it's very hard to say her last name without sounding drunk, but I believe she was the woman who tried in vain to give the natural childbirth to Vanessa Kirby's character. 
But Eliza Schlesinger was also in the movie Spencer Confidential, which was a Netflix original with Mark Wahlberg. And she was also in Instant Family, also with Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne. So she is a writer and a comedian who has been on the stand-up circuit for quite some time. And this movie particularly feels very um, uh, autobiographical, but I don't know for sure how true it is. It's directed by uh, a woman by the name of Kimmy Gatewood, and in terms of her directorial efforts, she has written for several movies and TV shows, and she's an actress in her own right. Uh, uh, as far as movies go, this is actually her feature film debut. She has also directed episodes of shows like Hyperlinked, Timeline, and others. And she actually acted on the show Glow, which was on Netflix from 2017 to 2019. That was a great show, but... Good on Paper is definitely Eliza Schlesinger's movie. And she also plays a stand-up comedian who, uh, after years of putting her career first, meets a guy who seems perfect, smart, nice, successful, and possibly too good to be true. And I can actually tell right off the bat when you meet this this guy um, who is named Dennis, and he's played by an actor named Ryan Hansen, that there was something a little off about him. So this guy, Dennis, uh, meets Elijah Schlesinger at a a stand-up club one night, and they hit it off uh, initially. You find out from him that he is a Yale graduate who works as a hedge fund manager, so it seems like things are going really well for him. And the two of them, Eliza Schlesinger and Ryan Hansen, are really cute together at first. But eventually, as, well, Eliza's character, Andrea, uh, learns, he's not, there are certain holes in his affirmations in terms of who he says he is and also what he does for a living. And... I won't give away exactly what is untrue about Dennis, but it, it is a little bit of a mystery as well as a delightfully creepy mystery in some respects to actually learn what Dennis's background is because he doesn't seem to be creepy per se, but I knew just from looking at him that there was something particularly off about him. And it wasn't just his awkwardness, but it was also some of the things he was claiming and also other times where he's called to question about what his background is and he is very slow on the uptake. And it's not only Andrew who's suspicious, it's also her best friend Margot, who's played by another celebrated stand-up comedian named Margaret Cho. And Margaret Cho is very good in this film as the best friend. It's almost as if she was trained all her life to be the best friend. But the scenes where she and Eliza Schlesinger are trying to deduce what's 
going on with this with this guy Dennis are really good, probably the best scenes in this movie. And the movie does take a bit of an extreme turn when Eliza Schlesinger's character calls out her boyfriend for some of the lies that he's told. I think in reality, somebody like this who's who's told this many lies by someone with whom they're interested would probably just not answer his phone calls anymore. She does take a more extreme measure in the end that I won't give away, but it is funny and it does work in the context of this movie. And there are also some screamingly laugh out loud lines that Eliza Schlesinger delivers, particularly when Dennis gives her a ring. And when she talks about what that ring looks like, I laughed out loud. I I probably would have had a better time uh, laughing out loud if I was watching this in theaters, but at home watching Netflix, it works for me too. Either way, it was funny. And I'm not going to make generalizations about female comedians, but I do find that a, a lot of, and I'm going to try very hard not to make any generalizations about women comedians, but I do actually find this in male comedians too. I personally don't find comedy about relationships and sex life particularly funny because I don't share the same kind of uh, relationships that these people have. I, I haven't gone out with as many people. Uh, there's the sex life component to which I honestly can't relate. But I do think that putting this kind of semi-autobiographical story into film actually works. And there are cutaway scenes where Andrea, Eliza Schlesinger's character, is um, doing a stand-up comedy bit and sort of explaining the parts of her love life right after you saw them happen that really work. It's kind of like what Seinfeld used to do, Jerry Seinfeld used to do on his show Seinfeld. But I think actually the stand-up scenes work better in this movie than they did in Seinfeld, particularly because a lot of times... Jerry Seinfeld on the show when he was doing a stand-up act wouldn't necessarily talk about things that were the subject of the show. They were still funny because, after all, it is Jerry Seinfeld, but it didn't quite um, weave into the story particularly well. But good on paper is not just good on paper. It's also really good on film, which is why I'm giving good on paper a knockout. It is probably one of the funniest romantic comedies I've seen in quite some time. I think that just about every actor in this film, including some of the supporting actors, are nearly perfect. I liked Ryan Hansen as a guy who's a bit charming, definitely not creepy, but there is something that is fundamentally off about him. And I do think that Ryan Hansen played him particularly well in this film. And Ryan Hansen has been in a number of uh, films like the remake of Friday the 13th from 2009, a spoof movie called Superhero Movie. He was in G.I. Joe Retaliation back in 2013. He was in the Veronica Mars movie in 2014. So he's a guy I've seen in some movies and TV shows from time to time. But he he does really well in this role with, with what I imagine would be a very difficult role for a guy to handle. But if you're a male actor who could play 
lacking confidence as as well as you can play somebody who is confident, then that's a really good start. And even some big name actors like Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Cruise can't play somebody as well who's lacking confidence because they are, after all, a confident person. So for Ryan Hansen to cover both those bases is a really good asset to his acting. And also, Eliza Schlesinger, in her first, what I presume to be her first lead role, acts very well in this movie. And it is a very good debut for director Kimmy Gatewood. So, good on paper is definitely more than just good on paper. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And I have reviewed every movie I have to review for you for this show, but I also have an announcement to make. Words on Film is not over, not by a long shot. I still plan on continuing the show well into 2021 and maybe into 2022, but I am going to be taking the next two weeks off for vacation. And what that means is there won't be a show or a podcast for the next two weekends. It's this weekend, and then I will be back on the last weekend of July 2021. So there are going to be a lot of movies that are going to be released that I am going to see eventually, but I won't review them for you until two weeks from this podcast, or three weeks, I should say, because I'm going to be off for the week uh, or the weekend of July 16th to July 18th, and the weekend of July 23rd to July 25th. So I'm going to give you a spoken word preview of the movies that are going to be released in theaters this coming weekend, the weekend of July 16th to July 18th, as well as next weekend, July 23rd to July 25th. So starting with July 16th, the biggest movie that is going to be released in theaters on July 16th is Space Jam, A New Legacy. This is the sequel to the original Space Jam starring Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes characters. And it's a sequel, not so much as a remake, I don't think, because it is called A New Legacy, and that would suggest that it's a sequel rather than a remake or a franchise reboot. Now, the reviews of Space Jam have been relatively mixed. The reason that I hold Space Jam dear to my heart is because it is actually the very first film I saw in the movies by myself. This was the first time I went to the movies without my parents or my brother or anyone else I knew accompanying me. So, for that reason... I do have a bit of a nostalgia for Space Jam, but I actually thought that Space Jam, the original one, was a good movie. 
because in the years past, I've heard kind of people saying mediocre things about it. Uh, people who are Looney Tunes purists, some flat out hated the movie. And some people who were big fans of the Chicago Bulls, for instance, particularly when they had their peak of popularity in the 90s, could have gone one way or the other with the movie. I saw it again years later when I was an adult thinking, okay, is this actually a good movie or is it nostalgia that's uh, getting to me? But I saw it again and I enjoyed it. I still thought it was funny. Michael Jordan's acting skills are limited. And before he did that movie, he only did um, commercials, but he did a lot of commercials for those of you who remember. I mean, he did commercials for Nike, McDonald's, Ballpark Franks, and those are just a few of the things. But anyway, Space Jam A New Legacy this time has LeBron James in the um, lead as himself. Is he in the lead or is he a supporting character amongst the Looney Tunes? My guess is he's probably in the lead. And he's had, I don't know if he's had as much acting experience, even in commercials, as Michael Jordan. But again, that's one of the things that differentiates millennials from Generation Z. We had Michael Jordan. They have LeBron James. Who's the better basketball player? I still go with Michael Jordan, but LeBron James is is still a legend, and he always will be. But in Space Jam A New Legacy, a rogue artificial intelligence kidnaps the son of famed basketball player LeBron James, who then has to work with Bugs Bunny to win a basketball game. The movie also co-stars Don Cheadle, interestingly enough, and Malcolm D. Lee serves as the director of this film, and Malcolm D. Lee has had a number of directing credits to his name. If you go back to 1999, he actually had his directorial debut with The Best Man, which was uh, a comedy drama, uh, which I've seen parts of, but I haven't seen on the whole. He also directed a very funny Eddie Griffin film called Undercover Brother, and that was his first flat-out comedy. And I thought that was kind of like Austin Powers meets Shaft. And even though it didn't have a sequel, I thought it was very funny. He's directed some other films. Uh, He directed the most recent Barbershop movie, Barbershop The Next Cut, which I thought was pretty good, although it had a very tough act to follow. He also directed... Uh, Girls Trip, which was excellent. That was the movie that not only put Queen Latifah on the map, but it also starred Queen Latifah. Sorry. It's not only the movie that put Tiffany Haddish on the map, but it also starred Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Regina Hall. And that was an excellent film. And this is the first movie he's done since Night School, which starred Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish, which was okay. So this is his first time working with live action and animation. Uh, But considering his previous directing credits, I think he should do a pretty good job directing this film. This is a film I will see, and I will review it for you next time I come back to do my show. Then the other movie that's being released on July 16th is Escape Room Tournament of Champions. This is a sequel to the movie Escape Room, uh, which I did see, and I wasn't particularly impressed by it, but I, 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 guess, I guess it was okay. But in this movie, like in the original, six people unwittingly find themselves locked in another series of escape rooms, slowly uncovering what they have in common to survive. 
Joining forces with two of the original survivors, they soon discover they've all played the game before. I don't know what that last sentence exactly means, but it is in the context of this movie, so I'll just go with it. So because I have seen the original Escape Room, I will see Escape Room Tournament of Champions, and I will let you know what I think on the next show on which I host. I'm going to have a lot of catching up to do when I come back. There, There are a lot of films that I am going to have to catch up on. But the only other film that is being listed as being released on July 16th is a documentary that's called The Sleepless Unrest, The Real Conjuring Home. This is about the world-famous house that inspired the Conjuring film, and it has recently been sold and is now open to paranormal investigations. With special access, a small group of filmmakers and paranormal investigators are allowed to move into the famously haunted home for two weeks in hope of capturing evidence. This sounds like a fictional movie, but it actually is, in fact, listed as a documentary. Uh, The documentary is one of the genres under which it's listed, and it is the very first genre. The other um, genres are horror, mystery, reality TV, and thriller. If I see this movie, I will let you know what I think on uh, the next show on which I host, which is the weekend of July 30th through August 1st, 2021. But since I won't be here for next week's show or the week after, I will tell you about the movies that are going to be released in theaters on the weekend of July 23rd. And there is a big one that is being directed by M. Night Shyamalan, a name we haven't heard in a while, and it is the movie Old. The movie Old is a thriller about a family on a tropical holiday who discovers that the secluded beach where they are relaxing for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly, reducing their entire lives into a single day. That sounds not only intriguing, it also sounds really deep and a little sad. So this movie stars uh, Gael Garcia Bernal, who we haven't seen in a little while. It also stars Vicky Creeps, Thomason McKenzie, and M. Beth Davids. So really good cast there. And M. Night Shyamalan has been, I think, consistently better as a director over these last couple of years. And even though this movie sounds like a horror film, it is rated PG-13. So I could give you a whole history about M. Night Shyamalan's directing credits, but I will say that he really made his comeback as a director in 2016 with the movie Split. And the sequel to that movie, which was called Glass, was uh, received mixed reviews from critics. I thought it was pretty good, although they did take some narrative shortcuts in that. But Old is a movie I cannot guarantee will be great, but it certainly has a very intriguing premise. Hopefully it's not sad, but I will see it and I'll let you know what I think on my next show. Another movie that's going to be released into theaters on the weekend of July 23rd is Snake Eyes. This is a movie that is actually a G.I. Joe spinoff that is centered around the character named Snake Eyes, who in this movie is presumably played by Henry Golding. And the movie also stars Andrew Koji, Samara Weaving, and Ursula Cobero. It is directed by Robert Schwenke, who I have never heard of. 
but he is a German director who has directed such films in the past as Red, which is a movie starring Bruce Willis, Helen Mirren, and Morgan Freeman, amongst other people. He also directed the flop R.I.P.D., starring Ryan Reynolds and Jeff Bridges. So he's had some action movie experience over the last couple of years. The most recent movie he directed before Snake Eyes was a movie that was called uh, The Captain, which I don't believe I've actually seen. But let me look it up for you right now. And And trust me when I say that I can look this up very quickly, although this computer is giving me a little bit of trouble. But The Captain was a World War II film. And actually, I have not seen this, despite the fact that it came out in 2017. But it's a German film about a young German soldier fighting for survival who finds a Nazi captain's uniform. Impersonating the officer, the man quickly takes on the monstrous identity of the perpetrators he's escaping from. Very, yeah, that sounds like a killer film. I'm actually sorry I haven't seen that. But Snake Eyes will be released in theaters or is subject to being released in theaters on June 23rd. Excuse me, July 23rd. I don't know if I'm going to see that film because I haven't seen any G.I. Joe movies up to this point. And I didn't really play with G.I. Joes when I was a kid. So maybe I'll look at this through different eyes, but I can't guarantee it. But moving on, there's another movie that's going to be released on July 23rd, which is called Joe Bell. That's the name of a character, presumably one played by Mark Wahlberg. And it is the true story of a small town working class father, whose name is Joe Bell, who embarks on a solo walk across the U.S., to crusade against bullying after his son is tormented in high school for being gay. That sounds like Oscar bait. I'm not going to say whether it's a good film or not, but it is a very intriguing subject. Somebody who actually walks across the U.S. I'd be interested to see that. Um, Sort of like a real-life Forrest Gump. But Mark Wahlberg plays the titular character Joe Bell, The movie also stars Connie Britton, presumably as his wife, Morgan Lilly, and Gary Sinise, speaking of uh, Forrest Gump right there. But Joe Bell sounds like a really intriguing film. I can't guarantee it's going to be good or not, but I will check it out, and I'll let you know what I think um, on my next show, if I do in fact see it. Another movie coming out on July 23rd is How It Ends. This is a feel-good apocalyptic comedy, probably the first of its kind. It's about a girl named Liza who embarks on a hilarious journey through L.A. in hopes of making it to her last party before it all ends, rushing into an eclectic cast of characters along the way. The movie is co-directed by Zoe Lister-Jones, who also stars in the movie as Lia. She stars with Kaylee Spaney, Whitney Cummings, and Tawny Newsome. So some of those names I know, some of them I don't. But it sounds like a very intriguing premise. Uh, a feel-good apocalyptic comedy. I don't know if that's possible. I did see an apocalyptic comedy starring Steve Carell back in 2012, which was called Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. I wouldn't exactly call that a feel-good comedy, though, because, you know, the world ends. <laughs> but... I'll give How It Ends a chance if I get a chance to see that in theaters, and I will let you know what I think on my next show. 
Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.